So how was your Easter? Those of you who joined us here at Hillcrest, uh, we got to celebrate a baptism. Right? Amen. Amen. And we should continue to celebrate a baptism, and not just Denise's baptism, but our baptism. I was thinking this past week about Easter and about after Easter. In fact, I've shared several times with several people that it seems like when I, when I went into ministry, I thought that everything, everything in your calendar led up to Easter, and then it was kind of a, you can exhale now, right? That you gain momentum, and you gain momentum, and you gain momentum, and then Easter happens, and then whew, you can breathe again. And after I got into ministry, I felt that was not the case. Maybe it was Christmas, right? You build momentum and you build momentum and you build momentum and then you have Christmas and then you exhale. And then I figured out that wasn't the case. And then I thought maybe because we in our world today, the 21st century, seem to schedule our stuff around the school stuff, maybe we run after the school calendar. Maybe we start in August and we ramp up with motivation and momentum and we get everything done to Christmas and then we go into that second semester and we do the same thing second semester and then we get to May and then we we exhale, right? And then I found out that's probably not the case, right? That summer's just as busy as any other time. Do you realize that many people celebrated Easter this last week, especially on Sunday, but then Monday they went back to their quote-unquote real life? Do you understand that? Do you realize that? It's sad, but it's true. Some people we see around Christmas time, right? Maybe a Christmas Eve service, maybe a, a Christmas Sunday and then they go back to their, quote-unquote, real life after Christmas. Sad, but it's true. Those of you who've been baptized, those of you who can reflect on your baptism, or maybe even the baptism that we saw and we experienced last week, there's a tendency to look at those baptisms and celebrate baptisms, and then on Monday go back to our quote-unquote real life. Do you hear the danger with that? We talked about bookends last week. That one of the bookends the enemy wants us to believe in is death. That when Jesus died on the cross and was placed in the tomb, Satan would have us believe that's a bookend, that there's, there's nothing else after death. Yet that's not true. And it's not true that baptism is, is an end, is it? Baptism is a beginning of what God is already doing in our life and what he wants to continue to do in our life. Amen? Amen? Yes, yes. And so I want you to fight against that tendency to let time and, and circumstances and things that happen in our life, especially in this world, dictate to us what those bookends are. We can celebrate a lot of things, but they're not the end. They're simply the beginning. 
Solomon tells us in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Why do you guard your heart? Because it is the wellspring of life. What happens if you don't guard your faith? If you don't guard your faith, then there will be things that happen in your life, there will be circumstances that happen in your life that cause you to think, do I really believe? Do I really have faith? Do I just go through the motions? Am I just, am I just a follower of mediocrity? So what happens if you don't guard your faith? One of the things I think of when we celebrate communion, Mickey, is the opportunity to guard our faith. I, I love the idea of Jesus saying, I will not participate in this again until we participate together in eternity. It's an opportunity for us to guard our faith. What happens if you don't guard your walk? Isn't that one of the reasons that we gather church around the table every Sunday, guarding our walk? Isn't discipleship we're called to be disciples before we love each other, before we love the world around us, before we go? Should we not consider guarding our walk? We've talked before about Satan, the enemy, wanting to kill, steal, and destroy. You all know that's the case, don't you? At some level or another, what happens if you don't guard your walk? Is it wrong to ask questions? Years ago, I don't think it was ever said in the church that I attended, but I always felt like, hey, you should just believe because that's what's been taught, that's what's been said. And I never felt like I should or could ask questions. I don't think that's the case anymore. I think we should ask questions. Is it wrong to wonder? I don't think it's wrong to wonder. Is it wrong to doubt? No, I think, I think doubt is an opportunity for us to grow even deeper, to grow those, those roots, if you will, right? You think about a tree and... Sometimes we worry about the limbs and we worry about the leaves, but I think sometimes we forget about the roots and sometimes we have to remember to allow those roots to be planted. We're no different than the disciples, the apostles, the closest followers of Jesus Christ as he went to the cross. In Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13, they've just experienced what they think is a bookend. They've just experienced the death of Jesus Christ, their Messiah, the one they believed would overturn the Romans, would overthrow those people who had kept them down for so many years. In their minds, at least in their fleshly mind, they thought that it was all over. They had created momentum, they had created this momentum, this, this moving, this moving toward everything's going to come to fruition one day. And yet there's a bookend when this man of, of Nazareth, this person called Jesus, this good rabbi, 
God in the flesh. Allowed himself to be crucified. Should never happen, right? How could God hang on a cross? All hope is lost, or is it? Verse 13 says, That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. About seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Did you notice that? While they were talking and discussing together, all hope is lost. I guess this is the end. What do you plan on doing? Well, I'll go back to my my way of life. Jesus himself, it says, drew near and went with them. That's good news, right? But their eyes But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Why? Isn't that interesting? Why would it be if they followed Jesus If they believed Jesus was who Jesus said he was, if they met the first day of the week, and as often as they met, they celebrated what Jesus was doing, why would it be their eyes were kept from recognizing him? Have you ever... Have you ever been out on a road, I think of West Texas, because I've spent a lot of time on West Texas roads, right, where you, I know it's flat, but every once in a while you have a little, I think they kind of built that in because it's all flat, right? But when their road construction crews say, you know what would be kind of interesting? Let's, let's put a little rise here so everybody thinks it's not as flat as it really is. But you come up over that rise, and, and it looks like up ahead there's water on the road. Anybody know what I'm talking about, Right? where the sun is shining just at the right place and it's shining on the asphalt and it seems like there's a river or a lake, there's some kind of water up ahead, right? And the closer and closer you get, you figure out, hey, it's, not, it's just the light. There's not any water around, right? Whether it's West Texas or somewhere else, you've experienced that before. That's called a mirage, right? I wonder if we go through our lives spiritually and we, we think we see things and it comes to fruition, hey, that's not really what we saw. A bookend, right? I'm going to ask you this morning a couple of questions, specifically in regards to this Luke chapter 24 text. That, that little sentence right there is, It's intrigued me for years, but their eyes were kept from recognizing Jesus. 
Maybe it was just a mirage, or was it? What do you see? We just sang about a song, a chorus that I love. Lord, open my eyes. I want to see Jesus. That's a prayer, is it not? Lord, if you won't give me the ability to see Jesus, then I can't see Jesus. Do you understand we have certain limitations in our life placed on us by this stuff we call flesh? That the only way I see Jesus is if God gives me the ability to see Jesus? Do you understand that? That the only way that I hear from God is if God gives me the ability to hear from God? Do you understand that? It's what we call prevenient grace. It grace going before. It's God's reaching out to you. And he wants a relationship with you. And he offers grace. And he offers love. And he offers peace. And he offers faith. It's given to all mankind, right? John 3.16, anybody? Right? God came to save those at Hillcrest. The world, right? The entire world. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. If you're not familiar with that one, check that one out as well. God came to save the entire world, and yet not all the world will be saved. Why is that? Everybody's given this idea of this prevenient grace. Everybody, God wants a relationship with every one of us. And yet not everyone will receive what God has done. We're talking about believers here in Luke chapter 24, church. We're not talking about people who've just seen Jesus or heard Jesus from a distance. We're talking about people who had relationship, who were close with Jesus. And it said their eyes were unable to see. Do you see Jesus? Some people think it's strange that I pray that God give us eyes to see. God give us ears to hear. And I'm not talking about physical eyes. I'm not talking about physical ears. I'm talking about spiritual ears. I'm talking about spiritual eyes. In Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, it says this. God speaking to the prophet, go and say to this people, go and say to the Israelites, go and say to the church, he would say in the New Testament, keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but don't perceive, don't understand what you're seeing. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes. Remember, this is God speaking to the prophet. Lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. And I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until the cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste. Now, 
the context of Isaiah chapter 6 is this. The Israelites are sinful people, are they not? And God wants to do something about sin. This is 700 years, church, before Jesus is even born. God has to do something with sin. And he calls the prophets to speak a message that is not always popular. It, well, let's say this, it's never popular. But I want you to notice from Isaiah chapter 6, what gives the people the ability to see? What gives the ability to hear? Only God, right? And as long as they maintain their sinful ways, God's not going to allow them to see. God's not going to allow them to hear. Do you get that? In other words, by the grace of God, even judgment, hear me out on this. If you're taking notes, look, look right here for a second. If you're, re if you're reading script, look right here for a second. Even in judgment, God offers grace. In Isaiah chapter 6, he's judging the people of Israel but he does so even with a portion of grace. Isn't that amazing? Now, why do I say that? Because it says right here in Luke chapter 24, but their eyes were kept... Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Even after they've spent... I think us in the New Testament, we... We're tempted oftentimes to look back at Old Testament people or even in the ancient Near East, New Testament Christians and think, oh, if I were only there, I would make everybody smarter because I would tell them, that's Jesus right there. Right? Or that's the Messiah. Or that's... And I would have everything figured out, right? Wrong. Wrong. It's arrogant when we think that way. I'm not sure we would be any different than these people who had spent every day with Jesus Christ, and yet Satan puts a quote-unquote bookend at the crucifixion and says, you thought you had hope. You thought you saw. You thought you heard. Those of you who were here last week will remember the Genesis chapter 3 text. Remember what it says, God speaking to the enemy, and it says, you will strike his heel. That's exactly what happened at the crucifixion, but that's not the end. But he will crush your head, right? So why didn't these people get it? Why didn't they understand this has to happen? Jesus has told them over and over and over again. There will come a point in the time that the Messiah will go to Jerusalem. He will be crucified. He will be lifted up. Lest he be lifted up, the scripture says. And he will draw all men, all men, all men to himself. Why didn't they see? Why don't we see? Maybe that's a better question. Why don't we see? Why don't we really believe, when we look at the newspaper, when we, when we see the news, when we see the trouble around us, when we experience trouble in our own world, why don't we see, why don't we believe that God is bigger? God is outside of time. God is outside of space. 
I love the honesty of the man I was reading this morning a little bit earlier about the man who has the sick child and comes to Jesus and says, unless you do something, she will die. Jesus deals with something else off the side here, right? And a messenger shows up and says, don't bother the teacher anymore. Your child's dead. Remember that text? Jesus says, do you believe? It's another way of saying, do you, can you really see? I love the honesty of the response. He says, Lord, I believe. Lord, I, I see. Help my unbelief. Isn't that key? Isn't that key? I wonder what you see this morning. I wonder if you believe all the stuff or if you really see who God is, if you really see who Jesus is. What do you see? Is it a mirage? And understand, if you do see, praise God that you see. God gives you the ability to see, right? If you hear from God, praise God. God gives you the ability to hear from God. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Maybe they'll recognize his voice. And he said to them, What's this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? Isn't that interesting? Jesus knows exactly what they're talking about. Jesus shows up in the garden and says, where are you, Adam? Where are you, Eve? He knows exactly where they were. Jesus shows up with Cain and Abel and says, what have you done? Jesus, God, knows what he's done, right? In other words, this is a teaching moment. What's this conversation? What what are you guys talking about? Help, Help me understand here. No, he doesn't need to understand. They need to understand, right? And they stood stood still looking sad. Their circumstance, the circumstance of the bookend, the trouble, the turmoil, the challenge they've just gone through, they've allowed that to limit what they see. They stood still looking sad. If they really understood the gospel, why would they be sad? If they really understood that Jesus, who went to the cross, who said he was going to go to the cross, who said he was going to rise from the dead three days later, why would they be sad? Because they were limited by their physical eyes. They were limited by their physical ears. They were limited by their flesh. One of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only one to Jerusalem, only visitor to Jerusalem, who does not know the things? Don't you get the USA Today? Don't you watch Fox? Don't you watch CNN? Don't you see this pop up as soon as you open your computer? Don't you know the news? Jesus said, what things? Again, teaching moment. They said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a, notice what they say here. They know who he is. 
Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. What's a prophet? A mouthpiece of God. They recognize that, right? Another text says he taught as no one else. He taught like no other rabbi. He taught as one with authority. How our chief priest, it says in verse 20, and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. Bookend. Guess it's over now. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Their idea of the gospel was much different than his, right? Their idea of overturning the the government, the Romans, that was their idea of the gospel. That was their idea of good news. Besides all this, it's now the third day since those things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. When they didn't find his body, they came back saying they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Hear this evidence, this building. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. I wonder when I'm reading this text, is not your mind going back and back and back into history and saying, you know, Jesus told us he would be crucified. Jesus told us he would rise from the dead. Jesus told us all these things. Why don't we believe it? Because we can't see. Because we can't hear. What do you believe? This is much more than just seeing, right? This is the second question. What do you believe is more than just what do you see? What do you see? You're given the ability to see because of prevenient grace, but what do you believe? Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, right? That kind of belief. What does it mean to believe? How do we know that Abraham believed? We know that he took Isaac up on the mountain, and he got to be this far from sacrificing his only son, and that's when the angel shows up and says, wait a minute, now I know that you believe. What do you believe? And how do people around you know that you believe? I asked Denise last week, and perhaps you've been asked the same thing to declare what you believe. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. If you don't know those phrases, they have a tremendous amount of meaning. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I want to make him the Lord of my life. Is that what you believe? How do people know you believe that? Well, because I go to church. So what? There are people that go to church that may even say those words, but they don't really believe them. What do you believe? And why do people, what evidence do you have for those around you that you truly believe? It says in verse 24, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And Jesus says, Oh, all foolish ones 
can almost hear the compassion in his voice. O foolish one, slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ, was it not necessary the Messiah, was it not necessary that the one from God should suffer these things and enter into his glory? If you know the Old Testament, if you know what the prophets have said, this is exactly God's plan all along. Beginning with Moses and the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them all the scriptures and things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village of Emmaus, and when they were going, he acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, blessed it, he broke it, Does anybody know the Gospel of John? There are seven I am statements in the Gospel of John, if you don't know that. Seven I am statements. You can check me on this. Seven I am statements. One of those I am statements is I am the bread of life. You want to have life? I am the bread of life. What's he doing? He's saying I am God. Notice it says when he broke bread, blessed it, gave it to them, their eyes were opened. What gave them the ability to see? God. They recognized him, and he's gone. They said to each other, now listen to this phrase, I, I love this. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us? When we got out of the baptistry, Denise, what are you passionate about? Don't answer that question. I don't want to put you on the spot. But I believe, I think, that, I think that you would have to say that some way, somehow, when you come to understand who God is, when you come to understand who Jesus is, your passions change. Your direction of life changes, Right? In Acts chapter 2, when Peter gives the great sermon at Pentecost, and it comes time for an invitation, and, and it says they were cut to the heart. We, we've got to do something about this, right? We understand we just killed we just killed the Messiah. What do we do? Luke describes that their, their hearts were broken. They were cut to the heart. They, have, they need to respond somehow. And Peter says, confess, repent. You're going one direction. Turn around, go the other direction. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Remission of your sins. Receive the Holy Spirit. He's given you the ability to see. How do you see? Because you hear the gospel over and over and over again. Church, listen. God gives you God gives you opportunities to see through Bible studies. We meet here at 9.30 on Sunday every morning, every Sunday morning. An opportunity for you to see. We meet on Wednesday nights right over here. 7 o'clock every Wednesday night. An opportunity for you to see. We have small groups. An opportunity for you to gather together and, and see. We have somebody that gets up at this microphone or 
uses maybe one of those microphones and you have an opportunity to see because you get an opportunity to reflect on what God is doing for you. You get an opportunity to hear what God is doing for others. Are you taking advantage of those opportunities? Or is it just a Sunday morning at 1045? I'm going to be really facetious here. You know God speaks other than Sundays at 1045, right? Of course he does. When you walk out this place and you see, as David says in Psalm 8, the moon, the stars, nature around you, and you don't recognize God, there's something wrong. God speaks to us. The problem is we're not listening. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us? What are you passionate about? You should change everything. What are you passionate about? I can't get enough of church. I can't get enough of his word. I can't get enough of my prayer life. I wish I could say that. I wish I was more spiritual than I really am. But I really, I really, really, really pray that you fall in love with Jesus. I, I pray that you fall in love with his word. I think if you fall in love with Jesus, you're going to fall in love with this word. I think if you fall in love with Jesus, you're not going to have to be encouraged to give. You'll, you'll be giving. I think if you fall in love with Jesus, you won't have to be encouraged to be in church. You'll be there, whether it's here or elsewhere. You see, I think if you fall in love with Jesus, everything changes. Your hearts are burning. And yet there's some point in our life where we revert back to the old default mode where I'm passionate, especially as I get out of the baptistry, or every time I quote-unquote rededicate my life, and then time, and then life happens, and then I get become, I become callous, I become mundane, is that the word you use? Just going through the motions. I don't think this is just for these close followers of Jesus. I think this is for us. We're not our hearts burning when you leave this place on Sunday morning, on Wednesday night, whenever you gather every time in your homes. Where are not our hearts burning within us as he met with us? They rose that same hour, returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed. And it has appeared to Simon. Aha! Why didn't they know that by now? Why didn't they believe it by now? Because they were focused on the, the bookends. He told them what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking bread. What do you see? What do you believe? And finally... What do you witness? This is different than the first question. When I say, what do you witness? I don't want you to think of the first question here, again. What do you see? What do you believe? And what do you witness? By witness, I mean, what do you proclaim? I believe that Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God, and I want to make him the Lord of my life. 
What are you doing with that? I believe that Jesus is the Christ. Well, what does that mean? If Jesus is the one sent from God, how does that change your life? The Son of the living God. If that's true, and I believe it's true, it should change how I live my life. I believe that Jesus is the Son of the living God. Living God. Not all these other gods that claim to be living. No, the living God, the one true God. Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews. God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. The God displayed in the form of Jesus Christ, Philippians chapter 2. And I believe that I want to make Jesus the master of my life. The Lord of my life. How are you witnessing those things? How are you proclaiming these things? How are you telling one another about these things? This, is, this goes back to what we just heard. I, I love this because I want to hear your testimony. I want to hear what God's doing in your life. I think we're I think we're hesitant to show people or to tell people what we see and what we believe because we really haven't thought about what we see and what we believe. I think we're hesitant about sharing what God is doing in our lives. In other words, we don't witness why because we don't think about what God is doing in our lives. I don't think we, this is a general statement, this is not just for Hillcrest, although Hillcrest is involved, and you can take it or leave it. You can like me or not. I don't think we follow through with the great commission of going and making disciples because we don't think about how important it is to go and make disciples. To teach them. To baptize them. This is not the end. Easter is not the end. A baptism is not the end. So what do you witness? How do people know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ? Well, because I write a check every once in a while, and when the bank gets it, they see that it's written to Hillcrest Christian. No. What are you witnessing? Do you know that there were 12, 11 minus, you know, Judas is gone, right? But they replaced him with a guy named Matthias. There were 12 ordinary individuals. There were 12 Mickey loves. No offense, brother. K loves. Mike Crows. There were 12 ordinary individuals. And God changed the world. What could he do with 50? Or 60. What do you see? Praise God that you see. If you don't see, get it right. What do you believe? What do you witness? Let's pray.